0: I know that most of you who are sitting in this room and that are watching this online are probably old enough to remember the heyday of the circus. A few years ago, we saw the movie, The Greatest Showman, and we got to hear about the beginnings of uh, Barnum & Bailey Circus. But one of my favorite things as a child was going to the circus, Barnum & Bailey Circus. We would go to Indianapolis, and they would be in one of the big amphitheaters, and we would watch the greatest show on earth. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You guys remember those days? I used to love the clowns. I loved to watch the motorcycles in the, um, in the metal sphere as they went around. I loved because, you know, there was so much stuff going on at the circus, you would be watching something, but there was something going on all over the place. There was all the music, all the pageantry. I loved the tight ropes and the trapeze. But my favorite part of the circus, I know this is gonna surprise some of you, it was when the elephants came out. I loved watching those elephants. They came out, and they started dancing, and they performed. They put their feet up. I'm not going to try to do it because I'm old, and I hurt my back this week. They put, their, they put their feet up on boxes, and they danced around, and they did all of these things. And then the lions and the tigers came out. Do you guys know the, the uh, animal trainer for the Barnum and ba- Ringley Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, was Gunther Gable Williams he um, he was just an amazing man he could do wonderful things with those animals I still remember when he would open the tiger's mouth and he would stick his head in the tiger's mouth and then he asked for the applause you know those were fun times going to the circus and seeing like all of those things I never knew back then, but that circus was teaching us something about the fruit of the Spirit. It's interesting. What Gunther Gable Williams did all of those years ago, he taught us about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we had some technical issues this morning, so there are no sermon slides on the um, screen for you today. So you're going to actually have to look in your Bible or find your Bible app on your phone to follow through. But the first thing is, and I've been challenging you all month to put this scripture in your hearts and in your minds. Now, there's a way to cheat because they're going to be right here in front of you. Because I want to, one more time, read these fruit of the Spirit that Paul makes so evident. And Paul wants to be evident in our life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is, you ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruit can be evident in all of our lives. And we are called to make the choice to make them evident in our lives. Now, I have to be honest with you. When Larry and I were talking about the summer schedule, I looked through and I was really hoping that I wouldn't have to preach on gentleness. Because I'm not always the most gentle person. Ask my wife. Probably better yet, ask my boys. Sometimes I can be gruff. Preaching on gentleness was just one of those fruit that I thought, how do I convey this when it's not always evident and I struggle with it sometimes in my life? I read a commentator that said that the fruit of gentleness is a power fruit. I love how he talked about that. In our culture today, we see power as a negative thing. We see power as somebody that lords over us. We see power as somebody that pushes all of our buttons and tries to push us one way or another way. But truthfully, we treat that idea of power negatively. But the same commentator that called gentleness The power fruit went on to define what gentleness was. And he said it this way that gentleness is strength under control, it's power under control in our lives. So, what is this gentleness? The Greek word that's used for gentleness here in Galatians, and it's used several other times throughout the pages of Scripture, it's also used as a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It's this idea of an outward example based on what is going on inward in your life. That it's the outward expression of the inward things that are going on with you. Most often, this same Greek word is translated meekness. In fact, if you were to read the fruit of the Spirit from the King James Version, which a lot of us probably as little kids maybe had to memorize these words from the King James, we don't read gentleness, we read meekness. Now that idea of meekness that takes on an even worse connotation. Because in our minds, meekness shows a quietness, a mildness, or some would even say a weakness. I read one person that said, a meek person is a weak, wimpy person. Meekness is also defined as someone who is timid, because they cannot help themselves because they are so timid. But in truth, that is how we view the word in 2022. For us to understand any of these fruits, we have to understand them not from the perspective of today. We have to understand them from the perspective of what Paul, the author, intended them to mean to his readers some 2,000 years ago. That is how we interpret all of the Bible. We look for the aim, the author's intended meaning. Now, we can take that aim and we can extrapolate it and understand based on today's culture, but we have to look at what it meant back in that day and time when Paul was writing to the Galatian church. And that is not how the people in Galatia would have ever looked at that understanding of gentleness or meekness. They would have not seen it as a wimpy person. Because in Paul's day, when he used that Greek word, they would have understood it as someone who was able to tame a strong animal and bring it in control in their life. Gunther Gable Williams. There was a point to the circus analogy. Aristotle wrote about this same Greek word that it is an easy-tempered and easily domesticated elephant. That's what he said about gentleness. Plato described it as a mighty beast which could be tamed and fed by a man who learned how to handle it. Gentleness... Meekness is not weakness in any way, shape, or form. Gentleness is power being brought under God's control. And I have to say, probably every one of us needs to do that in our lives today, don't we? We all have to wrestle with taming that beast that sometimes is within us, whether it's anger whether it's jealousy, whether it's whatever the analogy could be, we have to work at taming that and letting that flow from us in a positive, gentle way, not the negative way. I think there are two examples of gentleness that we see in Scripture. The first from the Old Testament, Moses. We talked a little bit about Moses last week, about his life. We talked about how he was that baby that was born in a time when all of the Israelite babies were being killed and Moses' family put him in the basket and Pharaoh's daughter came and took took Moses into her house as her own. How he grew up in the lap of luxury. He was the grandson of Pharaoh. He had everything at his disposal but yet he never fit in. He wasn't an Egyptian, and everybody knew it. And everybody looked down upon him because he got lucky. We read about how Moses had to flee into the um, wilderness because he killed the man, and then how he was called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And how time and time again, he used excuses, but God answered the excuse. And then he leads the Israelite people out into the wilderness. He's taking them to the promised land. And we read over and over and over again that the Israelite people grumbled and complained. They have just left slavery. And what do they do? They grumble. God, Why did you lead us out into the wilderness? We don't have enough water. We don't have enough food. And every time, God answered their complaints and provided what they needed. Now understand, God didn't always provide what they wanted, but God provided what they needed. And that's the God that we have. He will provide what we need. But in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, we read that Aaron and Miriam begin to oppose Moses. Aaron and Miriam, remember Aaron was the one who God said, Aaron will speak for you, Moses. Aaron was part of God's plan of leading them out of Egypt. Aaron was one that understood what Moses was going to do. And Aaron and Miriam, a husband and wife team, they began to complain, bicker, and be angry at Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Had the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask, Hasn't he also spoken from the, through us? And the Lord heard this. Do you hear what they're saying? Do we really just have to listen to him? Maybe, maybe people, you should start listening to us a little bit more. And God responds in, Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. He said it this way. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. We read that word humble twice in that text. Guess what? It's the same word that later on would be used for gentleness. Moses was a gentle man who controlled the beast within him. And God used him in great ways. In the New Testament, we could read of person after person where God used in miraculous ways. But obviously, we have to look at the best example of gentleness, and that is found in Jesus. We need to emulate Jesus in every way, But I think there were three times in his life that his gentleness was seen. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, we read these words. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus telling the people? He's telling them that He is going to take the burdens of our lives and He is going to place them on Him. And He is placing the gentleness of His life on us. My friends, we have a God that doesn't just tell us to be gentle. We have a God that demonstrated it in his one and only son and a God that said, I'm going to take all that baggage, all of that junk, all of that struggle away and I'm going to place it on me and I'm going to give you my light load and you carry that. That's how Jesus interacts with us. As we read on in Jesus' life, as Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday of Passion Week. He is about to pay the ultimate price for all of his people. We read these wonderful words that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, "'Go to the village ahead,' of you and once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her untie them and bring them to me if anyone says anything to you say the lord needs them and he will send them right away this all took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet where it says say to the daughter of zion see the king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal Of a donkey. Jesus came in triumphant in the city, not as the warrior, but as a gentle Messiah who came to save. On we read about Paul speaking about the life of Jesus to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when, comes, when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. The truth is this. We must choose to allow God to control our lives and work through us and allow his gentleness to be evident in all of our lives. I bet if I asked who struggles with gentleness in this room, every hand would go up because this is a hard one isn't it it's easier to be bitter it's easier to be angry it's easier to struggle but we have to recognize that we are called to tame that wild beast that it is alive and active inside of each of us and we're to allow god's gentleness to flow through us So very quickly and very practically, I think there are three ways that we make this happen in our lives. The first is this. We must be open to God's will in our lives. We all spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God's will is for our lives. Most of the things that we search for answers for are really things that God kind of says whatever you choose is okay. I I heard it once said many years ago when I was back at Bible College at Ozark Christian College that God's will is kind of like an umbrella. That most of the things that we search for God's will falls under the umbrella. And we spend a lot of time trying to figure out, God, should I go to this restaurant or this restaurant? You know what God says? Just go eat. Really? Maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. We sit there and say, God, show me. Is this the right job or is this the right job? And sometimes God says, I'll use you at whatever job you do just be used by me we have to be open to understand that what god is really calling us to be in his will is to be more like jesus and if we are more like jesus then all of those things that we try to put or we try to figure out under that umbrella they will fall into place I read this verse a few weeks ago, but I think it's still applicable today. Again, the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church this time, in chapter 2 of Philippians, when he says these wonderful words, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Then he gets very practical in relationships with one another. Have the same mindset of Jesus Christ, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. If we want to understand God's will in our life, we need to be more like Jesus. And we need to love God first, and we need to love people second. We need to look for ways that we can use whatever our circumstances are and how we can demonstrate Jesus' love to the people around us. That's how we tame that beast inside of us. We see people through God's eyes. We see those moments as opportunities to show Jesus and to teach the love of Jesus. The second thing that I think we need to do is we need to recognize we have to be teachable. For most of us, we think we have all the answers but the truth is we still need to be taught every one of us have areas in our life that we need to grow in that we need to follow god more closely in that we need to be taught in James said it this way in James chapter 1. He said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, we don't like this one, should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. But do not merely listen to the word so to deceive yourself. Listen to what James says, this next phrase. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We have to be teachable. And we have to allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts, and then we have to do something with it. Church, we spend a lot of time listening. But God says, listening is not enough. When you hear, there has to be an action that follows that. When we talk about being gentle, being kind, being good, showing love and devotion to people, we have to find actions for those words. And I think the third step, it sums it all up. We have to be considerate to other, other people. We have a saying around here that we say all the time and we'll continue to say all the time. We are called to love God and what? Let me hear that again. That was pretty weak. We're called to love God and? How do we love people? By being considerate to them. Gentleness is to be evident and flow from what we are actually doing and how we are living God's will in our lives. Paul to the Ephesian church said, as prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Boy, we don't like that word either, do we? Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. My question for you today is this. What are you doing in your life to show gentleness to the people around you? We could spend all of these weeks going through the fruit of the Spirit and talking about the fruit of the Spirit. But if nothing changes, guess what? All we've done is talk. We must change. Our lives must change. Our desires must change. And our reactions must change. Gunther Gable Williams spent a lifetime training the wild animals in the circus. And you know what? He made them do some really unnatural things for them by simply training. Being kind may be unnatural for some of us. Being gentle sometimes may be unnatural for me. Always showing love and compassion and joy may be hard for us but God says that if we train those things and tame that wild beast in all of our lives God will make something great happen gentleness is following God's will learning and doing what he asks, and it causes us to do things that are not always natural but it causes us to do the things God desires for us in our lives. Will you pray with me? God, I'm sorry when I am not gentle and kind to people. There are days when I let that frustration, that struggle, that hurt, whatever it is, rule my life and I don't allow it to flow from me in a positive way Father help us to follow you to see that being more like Christ is to love you first and to love others second Father help us to grow in that relationship and help us Father to be more like you